Hi everyone and welcome back to another Parliamental. Anne, how are you? I am fabulous, how are you? I'm good, I think you oversold that a wee bit. Alright, I'm not bad. It's Sunday probably morning. I mean, it's Sunday morning, it's a bit damp outside. I don't want to get too... I don't want to lie to the listeners. We're good. <laughs> we're, we're alive. We're alive. Lucky we're good. us. Good. Um, first thing I want to mention though, Anne, is the last time I saw you, you were throwing yeah. darts in a pub. And oh, right in front of me here, <laughs> we we're not on the we're not on the iron board anymore, ladies and gents, so sorry about that, but we are on a table. And on this table, mm-hmm. there is a, that's me hitting a dartboard. <laughs> so Anne, what's happening? Right, well, I entered myself into the MP's darts tournament. As you do. As you do, yeah, because about 20-odd, 30 years ago, I played darts in the pub a couple of times and I wasn't bad. So I thought, (laughs) well... Great CV, why not? Go for it. (laughs) Can't be that difficult. So I was up to play Nigel Evans, who's a Tory MP, Mm -hmm. and um, obviously I'm very motivated to beat the Tories whenever possible. So my cunning plan was to lull him into a false sense of security, did that bit, (laughs) buy myself a dartboard, did that bit, mm-hmm. get the dartboard up on the wall, not got there yet, and practice like mad and thrash the pants off of him. The last bit I did as well. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, as I said, the dartboard is on the table, it's not on the wall. So you beat Nigel Evans without much practice? Except for the one night that you were talking about. So after the SNP branch meeting, um, a few of us went for a wee orange juice mm-hmm. to, where was it, the Princess in uh, on Smithycroft Road? Smithycroft Road, yeah. Um, right. And we went in there and... Um, uh, Duncan and Liam, two of our members, uh, were my henchmen that were uh, guiding me with how best to how best to beat the Tories at, at darts. So to be practiced then, and um, yeah, it was all coming back to me. Um, so yeah, I was quite pleased. And uh, a tough-looking jo- ex-joiner friend of mine, who's going to remain nameless, mm-hmm. said if I got him lunch last week. He would come and put the dartboard up on the wall, but he hasn't been well. And I'm really pleased that he's all better now and he's going to come and put the dartboard up for me. Aren't you, nameless, tough-looking joiner? So if you're hearing this, (laughs) nameless joiner, um, the dartboard is definitely not up on the wall. But so how did the actual match go with Nigel Evans? Like, what was the... Did you come in entry entry music and all that? Were there... Like, what was... (laughs) Well, he he had. It took us a few weeks. We were behind everybody else, right? They'd all played their matches, and it took us a few weeks to get a time. He kept giving me times that I couldn't make, and he sent me this photo of him shrugging his shoulders in front of a dartboard. Um, and so I sent him a picture of me with Liam and Duncan looking really tough. This was to intimidate him. Um, basically, we got there and uh, admitted that neither of us could play darts. Um, so <laughs> let, let's get on with it. Yeah. So it was um, it was best of three, and I won the first two. I, I mean, I have to say. Where my downfall is is the is where most people's is is finishing on the doubles, um, so I would be miles ahead of him, and then uh, he would catch up with me because you just get stuck on that list. Yeah, and apparently, um, and I know this because Graham, my partner, has been reading up on darts. <laughs> Well, he said that my laptop was open at something that I was reading on darts, but no, I actually Googled it and then forgot to read it. My plan wasn't really very good, but the average score for the average non-darts player, um, I think he said it was 10.8 or anyway, well, I'm well above that, so that's fine. So I'm pretty good until you get to the doubles thing. So that's what I really need to practice. However, in the next round... I'm in, a th- in the final six and I'm the only female MP left. Nice. And the two finalists play their final during the World Darts Championships at the Alley Pally, the Alexandra Palace. Um, so, uh, yeah, I quite, I quite fancy doing that. But I'm playing the guy who's organised the tournament. Now, you don't organise the darts tournament if you're rubbish at no, it. No, you don't bring so up darts unless you're good no, at it. No, I know. Mm. But still, you know, just he, his name's Nigel as well. And he's a Tory. So I have a track record <laughs> beating beat. Nigel beat. Tories. <laughs> you, have a, you have a track record beating Nigels. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, but it is still on the table, so... Yeah, uh. well, it's, uh, there's not a mark on it, so let's get that in the wall. <laughs> Nameless joiner. Just to go on to the Investigatory Powers Bill, because I think Darts to Investigatory Powers Bill is a great segue. 
Um, <laughs> now it's passed by the Lords, and it should become law within a few weeks. Um, one of the more, uh, I know there's a lot in it, and you were kind of on the committee for it, but one of the most worrying things for me was that um, the correspondence between MPs and their constituents could now be exposed yeah. or could be investigated. Um, I'm just a wee bit worried about what that could do for, for MPs and their constituents. And also, I mean, people who've got like real concerns and real worries. Do you think that'll impact any, any um, not any individuals necessarily you talk to, but do you think it'll have an impact for MPs' day-to-day -day work? Oh, I'm not sure. I mean, um, I wasn't on the committee, incidentally. I just was uh, participating in most of the debates. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, they say that it would only be if there was real cause to, if there was real... And, and I guess they would have to have... I don't know how it's going to work, to be honest, Jerry. I, I, I My concerns about it, including that one, remain. But sometimes these things work out differently, you know, and maybe we'll just... Um, if, the, if a problem does develop, then we're just going to have to find ways of communicating that doesn't involve, um, you know, emails. Mm -hmm. But most of my constituents um, tend to come and see me in person or come and mm -hmm. see the team in person. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I mean, the answer is I don't know. If it's as bad as we fear, then yes, that is a real problem. But we're just going to have to wait and see how it, how it happens. Because although we voted against it, it obviously past mm -hmm. and it's going to happen mm -hmm. it's just that the uk seems to now have one of the more draconian um, and really scary 1984 style it's a real cliche it's a real 1984 mm. style but really kind of intrusive um about your internet privacy and it does sound like it's if you get nothing to hide you have nothing to hide but when you look at kind of the, some of the key the key parts that like um the ability to look at correspondence mps and their constituents it's quite intrusive like it is very yeah. very intrusive and there's more to it than just as long as you're not up to anything you've got nothing to hide yeah i know you should you should be able to uh, speak privately to your MP and uh, without fear of anybody ever seeing that. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm terrible for thinking, right, well, we fought that, we tried to stop it, it didn't work, we'll just need to go for independence. But even, even you know, if we do have a referendum, it's going to be quite a way down the line and this will all come into force quite soon, so yeah. it is going to impact on us. I'm also quite excited, uh, like you're saying, from an independence point of view, that these sorts of things, I'm just kind of, I mean, just on a sidebar, about a constitutional impact. An independent Scotland having a constitution be quite an interesting thing. How do you write oh. a constitution? Constitution in a modern era that covers the internet and all these sorts of other freedoms that, that yeah. other countries haven't had to contend with. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how an independent Scotland would deal with all this sort of stuff and what we would enshrine kind of in a constitution. And, and there's work going on in that respect. You know, there are people, not necessarily officially or formally, but there are people in different sectors who are looking at how these things would work in Scotland. One of the most exciting things we did during the run-up to the 2014 referendum was to do, uh, we did a couple of meetings where we were saying, what would a constitution look like? What would our constitution look like? And that was brilliant because it just got people thinking about imagining creating almost a new country. And that, because that's effectively what you will be doing because we are a country at the moment in in name but not in terms of all, you the, know, all the all the governance and stuff that yeah. goes along with it yeah yeah so mm -hmm. you will be creating a new country and it will need a constitution mm -hmm. and and you also spoke in the employment and support allowance and universal credit debate mm -hmm. which is a mouthful mm -hmm. um you spoke in that debate and so let's first of all have a listen to what you said mr speaker as there is a real chance of reaching agreement on all benches today, I will resist the temptation to talk about what I would normally talk about, and that is what I believe to be the political <coughs> ideology behind cuts to the welfare system. Instead, I'm going to concentrate my arguments on the unfairness of the implementation of these cuts and what I believe to be the counterproductive nature of removing £29 a week from people in the work-related activity group of employment support allowance. Let's remember that for many people, if you're in receipt of employment support allowance, you're currently unable to work because of poor health. Unable being the operative word. Whilst it can be extremely difficult for job seekers to actually find jobs, it's more than just difficult for those yeah. in the rag. Yeah, it's yeah. often impossible. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the rag. Therefore, they have fewer opportunities to improve their own financial situation than someone who is able to actively seek employment. They don't have that potential light at the end of the tunnel, or at least their tunnel is a lot longer. Because, as has been said, those on employment support allowance tend to be on it for longer than those on job seekers allowance. For those on JSA, 60% are off it within six months. Whereas we've heard that it's an average two to two and a half years for those on ESA. 
£73 a week is a shockingly low amount of money for anyone to have to live on. I'm sure we can all agree on that. It's a pittance. But having to live on a pittance for around six months is an entirely different proposition to having to survive on it for around two and a half years. So they need the additional £29 a week simply because they have almost no prospect of any increase in their income and there's not an awful lot they can do about it. But it's not just unfair, it's also counterproductive. The government says, and in the spirit of consensual politics, I'm willing to take them at the word, the government says the reason they're doing this is because if they take money away, it will make it more likely that people will move from the rag into employment more quickly. Well, the, the charity scope argues that taking the money away will, in fact, take them further from the workplace, and I completely agree with that. Mr Speaker, being poor is a very time-consuming way of existing. It's a constant juggling act and a battle to stay afloat, and it takes up a lot of emotional and physical energy. So for someone in the rag who has a, a disability, whether it's physical or psychological, to have to use up what little energy they have left, trying not to go under financially when they're living long-term on just £73 a week, it leaves very little energy to get well and look at getting the support they need to get back into the jobs market. And the impact on the self-esteem of the dramatically increasing number of people on ESA because of mental health problems currently standing at 49% is not difficult to imagine. To believe that keeping people on the very lowest income rather than giving them the additional £29 a week, to believe that will help get them off the sick and into work is, if you think about it, to believe that people are making themselves ill or swinging the lead in order to access that extra £29 a week. Do we have such little faith in people that we honestly believe that great swathes of those currently in the rag wouldn't give anything to be well, to be working, to be able to play a full part in society, not to be looked down upon by others as they often are? Mr Speaker, I represent one of the most deprived constituencies in the UK and that's not what I see. I see incredible people in Milton and Rukesi, in Blackhill and Royston, right across Glasgow North East, who even when they have next to nothing themselves, keep giving and sharing with others in their communities because they're good people and they live in an area with very high levels of health-related unemployment. I want to tell you about Davy in Postle Park, who has a disability. He walks with a stick, he struggles to breathe sometimes, and he's in the rag. But when he's up to it, he spends his time voluntarily helping so many other people in his community of Postle Park. He couldn't possibly have a job just now. He's just not well enough, often enough. But he can sit down with others, and for example, the local men's support group that he's a member of, and just listen and advise. And he does it as often as he can. David told me that despite having that extra £29 a week, he feels like a failure because he still can't afford to buy his granddaughter a decent Christmas present. That man is no failure. But does anybody here seriously believe that Davy likes feeling like a failure? Yeah, yeah. That he wouldn't give anything to replace his current life with the one he once had where he had his health, he had his job, where he was earning enough money to buy that wee girl a present that would have made her eyes light up? Does anybody honestly believe that his precious granddaughter is not motivation enough to get well and get back into yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My concern, Mr Speaker, is that every member in here may well be thinking that, yes, they can empathise with Davy, but some members might also be thinking, well, it's not the Davies from Postle Park of the World we're trying to sort out here. It's the others. Mr Speaker, I am anything but naive, and I can tell you that Davy may be an exceptional man, and he is, but he is no exception to the rule. Those others, like Davy, would also rather be working, and an extra £29 a week will not stop them doing it when they are able to. Removing the £29 a week will, however, make getting well and getting into the workforce much, much harder. And I would appeal to the government to please think again. Yeah. So that was your speaking answer. And well, for a start, how was that debate brought about? Uh, well, it was Neil Gray, who's one of the SNP MPs, and um, he has run with this, uh, the cuts to those people in the rag on employment support allowance. Um, he's run with this for quite a while. Basically, Neil has reason to believe, because there were a number of Tories supporting us, has reason to believe that there is every chance that in the autumn statement the Chancellor will announce that they're no longer going ahead with this because they've got this green paper on disability and 
and they're bringing these cuts in before even considering the green paper which is about the support that you can give to people with disabilities to get them into training and employment um, and, and the operative word being support so basically um, I mean the cuts will be horrendous it's a cut of £29 a week not for people who are in it currently but if they come out of it and a lot of people who have illness that forces them onto the rag a lot of people who have illness that that type of illness uh, half of them is, is mental health problems and the nature of mental health problems often means that you can be well and work for a while and then you know you may end up being out of work again now if that happens if somebody currently is in the rag and they are getting this extra 29 pounds a week and they find themselves able to work their health gets better they find a job if uh, they go back at some stage on the rag um, and they do so and uh, there's more than a 12-week gap between leaving it and going back to it um, they won't get that extra £29 a week. Well, that's not really an incentive, is it, for people to... to it, it, but it's more than that. It's about the long-term nature of being in that category. Um, the long-term nature means that most... the average person's on it for two to two and a half years. Um, and the argument I was making was that this is not to uh, say that those on job seekers are, you know, can survive on £73 a week. I think I made the point that it's a pittance, but the average job seeker is on it for six months. And there's a world of difference between surviving on that for six months and surviving on it for years and years. And you've got other you've got other costs when you have long-term illness or you have disabilities. And um, so they're taking that away. So basically, sorry, that was a very long-winded <laughs> way of answering your question. You can edit me if you like, Jerry. No, never. Um, so Neil Gray, who is an incredible campaigner for people relying on uh, benefits, um, believes that there's there's a good chance that they'll... So it was a very consensual debate, and it was a backbench business debate. He went to the backbench business committee and said, would you consider a debate on this? And they said, yes. Oh, but can I tell you something that happened? Right, so the Labour Party knew we were having this debate on Thursday. This is how childish it can be at times down there. They had an opposition day to be on Wednesday and often they decide the day before what it's going to be because they want it to be topical. Do you know what they wanted it to be? The same thing. Oh, so we've had the same two debates this week, which I just think is a nonsense because you, there's no point in asking the questions twice mm -hmm. in the one week. You're going to get the same answers. So we could have debated something else. We could have given, you know, the, you know, we could have given some uh, publicity to another cause. Um, but they did it because they didn't want us to be seen to be doing it. Yeah. And can I tell you something else Go that happened? I've got time to do this. Yeah, yeah. So the other thing that happened was... Um, Backbench business debates don't need to go to a vote, and the vote doesn't compel the government to do anything, but it's symbolic, right, and it's important sometimes. But for it to go for a vote, a vote, a vote the Speaker, in this case it was the Deputy Speaker, Eleanor Lang, the Speaker will say at the end, all those in favour of the motion, and that was Neil Gray's motion, it was our motion, say aye, so we all say aye. All those against say no. Now the Tories, not the ones that supported us, but the rest of them were against, so um, we would expect them to say no. But we'd heard that they weren't going to say no because then it, it would not go to a vote. They didn't want it to go to a vote. They don't want their members to be voting on this. So they, um, we knew they were going to do this. So um, Now if you say no, then you have to provide tellers. If you force a vote, you have to provide tellers. They need four tellers. They count the votes, agree the votes, but they're not allowed to vote themselves. I didn't know that until this week, actually. So we asked uh, the Labour Party, would some of them say no and provide tellers? And they refused. They refused because they want to say that all of their members voted in favour of the motion. Um, and they want to make political capital out of it because there's no other reason, right? So what we had to do, then we, had, we asked the SDLP. So the SDLP and the SNP um, shouted no and it was quite funny. If you listen to it, Eleanor Lang says, all those in favour, aye. All those, so we all said aye, all those against. And Ian Blackford and Margaret Ritchie from the SDLP, Ian Blackford's ours, said no. 
Um, and she said, the eyes have it, the eyes have it. So obviously it wasn't loud enough. So you can hear Ian Blackford going, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. And he just keeps going mm -hmm. on. And it was just really funny. Anyway, and then she shouts division and there's a vote. Um, so the Tories abstained, except for the ones that were supporting us, and they came through the lobbies with us, and Labour obviously came through the lobbies with us. But three of ours couldn't vote because they were tellers and one STLP. But I just, honestly, I just think, I mean, there's a lot of Labour members, individual ones, that we work really closely with, we've got really good, strong relationships with. But when it comes to something like that, it's, it's just childish. It's like, oh no, we don't want to support the SNP. We don't want to do anything that makes the SNP look good. And that just, oh, it just saddens me. I mean, that's that's quite sad because you think that where there's common ground, there will be common ground mm -hmm. between all the parties on and certain things. And there was things. on that one. Yeah, I mean, everyone's anti-murder <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. You know, there, there should be things that everyone should be able to agree on because yeah. you've got plenty of other things to disagree on and kind of tear lumps at each other on if you, if you need to. So it's pretty sad that even when it's an open goal that people don't, I mean, it kind of reminds me a bit of the, the John Nicholson thing as well where there's yes. kind of dodgy mm -hmm. dodgy things to, to basically take the wind out yeah. of that motion so that it can be go, that it can go somewhere else yeah i mean i know that was quite a long story there but i think it's quite interesting to see how it works and all the shenanigans that go on in the end uh, we won the vote i can't remember what it was 179 or something to n nothing because nobody voted against they they all just abstained um and um but it was great because we won the vote and we won the argument and it was very consensual on our part and um yes i think uh i'm looking forward to wednesday because i'm really really hopeful that they're going to announce that they're going to at least pause on that and not implement the cuts in april i've seen a lot of promotion this weekend that both you and local msp iron key will be holding a town hall meeting on the national survey and mm -hmm. the weekend, the 26th of November. Yep. So just for anyone who's listening who doesn't really know, what is the National Survey? Uh, the National Survey is asking people what they think about uh, Scotland's constitutional future. So really asking them what they think about independence, what issues matter to them when it comes to voting on independence. So how much does um, uh, the NHS, how much does health policy matter? How much does immigration matter? How much... Um, so it, and we're basically going to be meeting people and asking them just to tell us what they think. What are their thoughts? Because there's a lot of people have changed their minds now. There's, maybe a lot of people have changed their minds in a way that we don't want them to, but it's important that we listen. So I would say to people, um, if you've got a view on independence, whether it's that you want it or you don't want it, or if you've got no view, but you're interested to hear what other people are thinking, then come along next Saturday. So where is it? Where can they come along to? So it's the Everlasting Arms uh, Church, which is, and it's at four o'clock on Saturday, the 26th of November. Um, and it's Everlasting Arms is just off Duke Street. It's on White Hill Street, which is the street I live. It's the other end. Um, so you just turn up to the left from Duke Street if you're heading east um, and you'll see it. You can't miss it. And tickets are available if you look on Ivan's Facebook, your Facebook, Proven SNP Facebook. The Eventbrite link's out there. So people, right. if you want a ticket, it's really easy to get it. Just kind of search one of those pages and, and you'll find information. And don't worry, it's free. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm um, talking about Ivan also interviewed um, Lorna from his office who told us a little bit about the work Ivan does and how you listen at home can get in touch if you want to speak to him about anything. So let's listen to Lorna. I'm here with Lorna. Hi, Lorna. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Lorna, you're part of Ivan's team. So what is it you do for Ivan McKee and his day-to-day? -day? Like, how, how do you work as part of that team? Uh, well, I am Ivan's constituency office manager. So basically, I sort out what happens in the constituency, I suppose. Um, running the day-to-day -day kind of office, um, which we have just managed to find an office okay. after being elected in May. Um, dealing with casework, uh, work with um, Alan and Mark on that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that pretty much. Cool, and you mentioned the office then. So when are you planning to move into the office? Now, I know you joked about it saying it does, <laughs> it's been a long time, but it does take a lot of time. You, you've set up, you're basically like, Ivan's basically a new employer. He's got a new team. He's setting up all this new stuff. So like, when are you going to move into your office? When do you think and whereabouts is it going to be? Hopefully, fingers keep everything crossed for us. Hopefully the end of November, beginning of December. We've got a wee bit of kind of cosmetic work to do. <laughs> so, there needs to be a few adjustments made. Um, but yeah, so hopefully, hopefully December, uh, we should be in and ready to rock. And you've mentioned to me just before this, you mentioned one of Ivan's projects called Enterprise Unproven. Mm -hmm. What is that? 
So when Ivan was elected, he kind of pledged to donate half of his parliamentary salary to um, just enterprising ideas in the constituency. Um, so he's, he's obviously donated a few things. You can kind of see them on Twitter and stuff. Well, um, St Rock's is one of them, the homework club they've set up. So um, Ivan was fairly impressed with kind of what they were doing. Um, St Rock's Football Club, uh, they do a homework um, support night basically for uh, the high school students, um, physics and maths. So Ivan donated some money to them to kind of allow them to do an extra night uh, on kind of the basis that it would be opened up to benefit the constituents um, that Ivan serves. So kind of the local schools and things can use it. So just to, just to be clear, that's part of that's, that's Ivan's like personal wages that yeah, he's donating. Yeah, basically. So it's, it's basically... It's not like MSP money. No, it's his wages, if, uh -huh, you, if yeah. you will, yeah. So. That's pretty cool. So is there anything else? And you mentioned St. Rocks. Is there anything else like that that he's, that he's kind of involved in or, or, or donating to or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, there was... Um, it kind of helped us up in Rakesi. Some um, kind of guys have set up a pizza delivery. Um, Interesting. Yes, uh, so they've kind of bought a pizza oven, they deliver them on their bikes and things, it's kind of low cost, kind of basically to kind of put a wee injection into it to help them kind of grow and keep going. Business, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. mm. so it's kind of ideas, ideas like that and things that he thinks are, are worthwhile that he's kind of driving forward. Cool, is there anything else that he's doing like that? He donated some money to the Thai campaign as well, right. um, yep. so we've met with the kind of... Actually just in case people don't know what the Thai campaign is, do you want to kind of just tell us a little bit about... It's the Time for Inclusive Education, um, so you've got um, Jordan and Liam, guys that kind of are spearheading this and it's to kind of promote um, inclusive education for LGBT uh, in schools and things. So. These guys are totally self-funded. Um, we've met a couple of times. I even asked a question in Parliament to the um, Cabinet Secretary for Education, um, with obviously with regards to Thai. Um, so something he was quite kind of happy to be involved with and um, thinks that the work that the, the guys are doing is really to be commended. So. I mean, I interviewed Jordan from the Thai campaign, I think it was last year, um, and even just hearing him talk for 15 minutes, like it was a really moving experience. I don't know if any of the listeners have kind of heard about it, but yeah, you know, I think Jordan went through a very difficult time at school, yep. um, kind of an environment where being gay wasn't accepted. And so, you know, he, had, he went through some pretty dark times. And I think the Thai campaign is just trying to alleviate that for people from now on. So. and so, it's to just make... to, yeah, just to make sure that kind of kids in school aren't feeling that it's, it's not the place for them or they're not accepted and I mean to you or I this seems like something that's completely and utterly natural but there's so much bullying and hatred that's happening and I mean kids are taking their lives like this this isn't something that's kind of a, a light campaign or a, it's, it's a serious issue that we should be dealing with and we should be tackling so it's, it's good to see that these guys are so passionate about delivering a change for kids do you know what I mean it could be I've got I've got a wee girl do you know like I wouldn't like to think that she was experiencing that in school so it's something that's close to my heart like I just think it's so important so important chuffed to bits that Ivan is kind of quite happy to kind of push it as well so it's, yeah it's and it's also interesting because you know Ivan's obviously he's, he's got a business background mm -hmm. and he's clearly saying he's given money to to yeah. get guys starting new business with pizza so this is a, a more social thing that he's mm -hmm. interested in as well so the the, the the Thai campaign guys must have really had an impact with him as well yeah I think as you say if you, you spend 10 minutes with these guys you can see it's it's so apparent how passionate they they are about it um both of them um and Liam I, I think a few times now I've had a chat with him and he he kind of puts it in such a way that it's not just about sex education that's not what this is about it's about normalizing that and just making it part of the whole curriculum and um just so that it, it shouldn't even be this shouldn't be a thing it shouldn't be a question it should just be normal it's normal. It's, it's, uh -huh. it's a core it's, part of people's identities mm -hmm. and if you know it's like if people deny kind of core parts of their identities then all sorts of problems happen so exactly, exactly. so that's 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 it's really cool that ivan's kind of involved in that so yeah. um but there's also things like um the baby box yes campaign now i think ivan's involved in that in some capacity or has talked about it well so. it was his first members debate was actually about the baby box um so he that he kind of managed to secure puts a motion forward, manages to secure um, cross-party kind of support for it, and that allows it to kind of be discussed in the, the chamber. Um, so that was obviously about the kind of Scottish Government's Baby Box initiative, and it was great. So um, Ivan's kind of take on it as the kind of getting the, inclu the inclusion, sorry, of the um, reusable nappies. And that's, again, that kind of all stems from 
his business background and stuff and we're up he's, he's met a lot like a significant amount of the businesses within Proven and um, up in Queensley there's kind of um, a company that design and make these disposable um not disposable sorry <laughs> reusable naffies yeah. um mm. so that kind of inspired that and it's to kind of get them included in the the box or, or something that can we can look at this going forward should this be included um so he secured the debate and it was great there was lots of me and alan and um, jane actually got to go and see it um so uh, lots of cross-party support for the use of kind of reusable nappies and the savings and I was quite shocked at how long it actually takes for a disposable nappy, horrified actually how long it takes for them to like just decompose, decompose. It's, it's horrendous so well it's great that I mean I think the, there's a that, that company's based in Queensland it'd yeah. be great if mm -hmm. it'd be great for the local constituency if that company was actually chosen to be yeah. one of the people who contributed uh, to the baby box that'd be fantastic it would be good and um, uh, certainly something that would boost kind of jobs and uh, the economy are proven and yeah because i mean it's going to be a it's going to be a nationwide project that goes yeah. out so i mean i'm not sure how many babies are born each year but you know that's I think that... probably quite a lot <laughs> <laughs> um so we've talked about ivan kind of being a bit in the constituency there up at queensland stuff so i mean you and the team do you move out you've not got an office yet do you no, kind so of move a... about the constituency and stuff <laughs> yeah we're a bit nomadic at the moment <laughs> um yes we do um we're basically trying to kind of be as accessible as as possible we've kind of Taking that, if we were example from Anne previously, um, she's obviously set a really good kind of precedent of that, and um, we've wanted to kind of replicate that. So all of our surgeries have now been kind of finalised. We've got 12 of them, um, and two of them are actually full day decants. So that's a day where we will literally twice in the month, we will up sticks from our office that we don't have yet, but <laughs> <laughs> from wherever we're based that day. These sticks have got yes. wheels on them, these, I'm going to up yeah. these sticks. Yeah. <laughs> My Ford Fiesta. Um, <laughs> no, we will, um, basically, there's, there's two. So there's one in Rakesi Parish Church, um, and that happens on the fourth Thursday of the month. And then on the third Wednesday of the month, we're up in the Phoenix Community Centre in um, Easter House, which is an amazing place. If you haven't been up to it, you really should go up and see it. It's I mean, it was an old derelict library and they've just turned into this amazing um, community centre which is just so vital for up there it's, it's, it's such a kind of amazing place um, so we sit there for the full day and people can come in we'll just work away um, people can come in with their problems um, and I think it's really important to be up in these parts of the constituency because I'm shocked when I first started I really thought places like Easter House kind of Cran Hill all these places would, we would get swamped with casework but there was nothing and it shocked me and I thought why are people not asking for help <laughs> like they, there clearly is there's issues here there's there's things that we could and should be helping with and um so there's a wee bit of work to be done and kind of changing attitudes and making people know that we're there and that we work for them it's that that is what we're there for um but slowly but surely I think that's kind of you, you can see a change, hopefully. Um, I mean, there is that perception that, that politicians are kind of far away. You know, you're saying by going out to these areas and uh, actually working there for an entire day and, and not, you know, get, make yourself available for the entire day. You make people know that they can come to you. I mean, yeah. and uh, you, you must have a lot of interest in kind of, you know, attitudes people maybe kind of like, oh, you politicians are not going to do much. And, I, I, but I, you guys I, are actually <laughs> in, in the community yeah. trying to change that, which is great. Yeah, with a few, uh, with a few people come in and at first are kind of maybe a wee bit defensive or they didn't vote for the party and they think that that's going to be a, a roadblock for them getting help, which I'll immediately kind of try and diffuse that and say, do you know, the, the, the colours of the party colours are in the door here. This is, if you've got a problem, we were elected to represent every constituent, irrespective of how you vote. Um, so it's, as it's changing a bit of that attitude as well and kind of putting your hand out and saying, do you know what, we are here, like, and... We will, we will work for you regardless. Um, so we're happy to say that we've a few that we've managed to turn around and kind of attitudes have changed a wee bit, which is good. So and in terms positive. Of, and in terms of then, obviously, Ivan being an MSP and there being kind of reserved issues, is, are there any kind of main things that you would come to Ivan to ask about that you maybe wouldn't go to your councillor or you wouldn't go to your MP? I think what, I've, what, I, what I have found is at the general public, a lot of the time, don't actually know who they should go and speak to. So a lot of the time we'll be getting stuff that probably should sit with a counsellor. Nine times out of ten, we can pretty much deal with most things that come through. Um, but that seems to be a kind of issue. People just don't know what, what, what branch of government should I be using? Should I be, is this devolved? Is this, is this kind of, like, is this an, an MP issue? Is it a counsellor issue? They just don't know. So it's kind of clarifying that. And the good thing is we have got connections that 
between kind of like we've got good councillors, we've got obviously the links with the MP. So if there is anything that needs to be passed across, we've got that relationship in place where we can say, you know, we can't help you, but would you mind if we speak to the MP and maybe get them in touch? So that's working quite well, having that kind of strong relationship working between the offices, which is good. Well, that's great. Well, I think my, st my stomach just grumbled there. I think you mentioned a pizza. <laughs> I don't know if the mic picked it up. But anyway, thanks for your time. Thank you. So that was Lorna. Yep, and I have to say, Jerry, if you don't mind, um, Lorna is brilliant. She manages Ivan's office. Um, there's her, Alan um, and Mark in the Glasgow office and they do a tremendous job and we work really closely with them. So if somebody comes to us and it's something that's more Ivan's thing, he's got more expertise, or Lorna or Alan or Mark have got more expertise in, then we'll work closely with them as well. And um, I have to say they're doing an absolutely brilliant job. They work so hard and they're so approachable and doing everything they can to make sure people know that they can come to them. So big up Lorna. <laughs> and I think it's also an advantage that being represented by Ivan and yourself, that both teams kind of work closely together. You yeah. can pass things between each other yeah. where needed, where expertise exists and stuff. So yeah, yeah it's, it's really we, useful. And we do the same with Bob Doris's team. So because my constituency, uh, ha half of it is made, or more than just more than half of it is made up of Ivans, and the other just less than half of it is made up of Bob's um, constituency. So we all the teams work really closely together. It's great. And you've been in All Saints in Burmalock because apparently they invited you along to talk to the school. Yeah. So and. Was it about darts? What was it? What was it they wanted you to come along and tell them? <laughs> Do you know? I think darts was the only thing we didn't talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, All Saints uh, was great. They're coming to Westminster. We wrote to all the schools to let them know that they can get subsidised trips to Westminster. So any teachers out there, um, get in touch if you want to look at this. They can get subsidised trips to Westminster. They're coming down on the seventh of December to see their Parliament, one of their Parliaments in action. In fact. Before that, they're going to the Scottish Parliament to see the other of their parliaments in action. So, um, they are coming down and the mo three modern studies classes uh, had been looking at the voting systems and, and different elections. So, they asked if I could come in and speak to them ahead, ahead of the trip. Obviously, I'm going to see them when they're down there. But um, so I went in. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, so basically, they just asked me loads of questions, and um, uh, there was there was a lot of laughs. There were there were really good really good team of people, um, and a lot of really good questions, really serious questions. I'm not so sure though um, about the the final question. I think it was, and my answer was yes, Tinkerbell and Nicola. <laughs> And the question was... <laughs> I don't know if we should tell people. Let's just leave that. Let's just leave that hanging. No, what was the question? So the question was, do you have any pets? If so, what are they called? And who is the soundest politician you've ever met? Nice one. So, um, but anyway, so when I said that I had a cat called Tinkerbell, they, they were, uh, oh, have you got photos? So I showed them, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, all, all saints. None of you talk like that. That was a really bad impersonation. <laughs> oh, have you photographs? Um, and I, so I showed them on my phone and I flicked through till I got the most appealing photograph of Tinkerbell that I could find. And it worked because there was a big uh, group of girls going, oh, oh, and understandably so, because look how cute she is as she lies sleeping uh, while we're recording I still this. Th I still think she's actually a dog in a cat's, cat's outfit. <laughs> She likes ear scratches, really snuggly, lovely cat. Yeah, she's a bit dog-like, in a nice way. Yeah, in a nice way. Nothing wrong with dogs. Um, but anyway, so some of the pupils uh, said that I should have a Twitter account for Tinkerbell. No. Oh. And one of them even tweeted me the other day saying, uh, get Tinkerbell her own Twitter account, hashtag free the cat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the most free-looking cat I've ever seen. She's, yeah. sleep, she's sleeping on something. Yeah, yeah, this cat's pretty free, I have mm. to say. Um, anyway, no, but it was really good. They, they'd obviously, you know, done their stuff. They'd, they'd asked a lot of smart questions, a lot of funny questions. We had a great time and I'm really looking forward to seeing them on the 7th of December. It should be fun. Well, it will be cool. Make sure to take photographs and stick them up on top. Oh, I will. I will. And photos of Tinkerbell if you can get them as well. <laughs> um, also, you had a team away day last Friday. Yes. So this is when Anne the Boss was like laying yeah. out the new plans for the team. So how did it go? No, Anne the Boss was not laying out new plans. Anne the Boss was <laughs> working with her colleagues to come up with new plans. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, uh, well, I have to say, first of all, huge thanks to Tenants Training Academy. So they're based at Tenants, obviously. So our away day was across the road from our office, but it was good to get out of the office and not be answering the phone, have people come into the door and just be able to focus on what we were planning for the year ahead. Um, and Tenants Training Academy gave us uh, a room, fabulous room, teas, coffees, uh, lunch, and through in a wee tour of the brewery as well. Um, and so we had, you know, a good number of hours to sit and plan what we were going to do. And one of the things that we focused on was how we tackle economic development, how we can support economic development in the constituency. In other words, bring jobs to the area. I mean, I think if you look at my Twitter and my Facebook, you see what my priorities are. That's one of the priorities. But it was great uh, to sit and just get a bit more flesh on these things and just we also looked as well at how we can organize my time better so that I'm not run ragged not achieving anything which is what I feel is a constant battle um, because I mean even I mean I'm quite ruthless I think I'm ruthless with my diary when I'm at Westminster because y you know you there are hundreds of things on every week um, and I only only go to the things that are of interest or of use to my constituents and yet despite that ruthlessness I still had on Wednesday uh, four things on at four o'clock uh, two things on at half past four, one of which I had to be at. Um, and in the morning, I had two slots where I had two or three different things on. And it means that you're running from one thing to the next, giving nothing your full attention. So we spent a wee bit of time on that as well. So hopefully the result of the away day is that the things that we are focusing on, including the economic development, um, will uh, have you know more of a strategy in the future and uh, you'll have a much more efficient, organised, effective MP representing you. <laughs> That's the plan anyway. But again, when you think about MPs that have been MPs for, for 20 odd years, and they, they're kind of, I don't want to say this necessarily, but they seem like they're falling it in, but you know, you've had this, you've got a, a really big constituency with a lot of different issues, mm -hmm. and, and in many ways it's, it seems like it's three different constituencies stuck together. Yeah. Um, so I think it's I think it's been fair that you've been working your backside off up to this point and that now that you've actually got you know th that amount of experience in the position just now you can maybe start to look to develop it a wee bit and, yeah. and see how else you can work your time yeah and we did i mean we spent the first hour looking back over the first 18 months because we have tried to do certain things but without an overarching strategy behind it um so we looked at what had worked well i just do these things you know and and what we thought was worth developing so um yeah so yeah no I'm, I'm i mean it really helped to clear my mind and hopefully it helped to clear everyone and i think it did help to clear everybody else's minds of course then on the monday morning we all go back to work so that was the friday we go back on i think we were working over the weekend but you know what i mean mm -hmm. you go into the office on a monday i go down to westminster and all of a sudden everything's hitting you and mm -hmm. and you know the away day seems like a lifetime mm -hmm. away but we've got plans in place to keep on developing that, so hopefully it'll work. And in terms of that as well, now that you've kind of got that plan in place, it's time that you can relax and take up golf. <laughs> this has happened to me before, right? I think I think I might be, I better not say this, I was going to say I think I might be a touch psychic, but I better not say that, that'll be the next headline in the Daily Mail. Um, so... <laughs> I have just said it, haven't I? Oh dear, oh, no. okay. Right, there you go, Daily Mail, there's an article and a, <laughs> a headline for you. Um, uh, yeah, so I was at the Federation of Small Business dinner on a Thursday night. So that was a race to the airport. I normally get the train, as you know, but obviously to get to this in time, I had to race to the airport, tell the pilot to put his foot down. <laughs> <laughs> and I still was late, but I thought it was important to go to the Federation of Small Business because small business is the backbone of Scotland's economy and I want it to, and it's the backbone of the economy in the Glasgow North East, but I want to I want to be in touch with people that can bring more business our way and more jobs into the constituency. So I went to that and there was a raffle and David Mundell, the Secretary of State for Scotland, was drawing the raffle and he... Uh, pulled out the first one and I just turned to Ivan McKeon and he said it's golf for four in Airdrie and I thought oh golf 
um, and I turned to Ivan and I said, I've won this. And this happened to me once before, except it was something I wanted to win. Um, and I was right. And David Mundell said, just to show I'm not politically biased, the winner is Anne McLaughlin. And the next prize was a spa day for two. And I was like, no, swap me somebody. <laughs> um, but I'm very grateful to whoever donated. Uh, I've not looked at it yet. And um, I'll see what I'm going to do with that. I might actually go and play. That might be our next away day. I'll play golf. I'd love to see you play golf. I'd love to see your entire team play golf. I think that would be amazing. I think I'm better at darts than I would be at golf. I was quite good at putting when I had the patience for it. I used to play putting in the well park in Greenock, if there are any Greenockians listening. Um, so And down in Larkson, I was all right at it. So it's just the same, except you walk further, isn't it? You phoned it in in darts and managed to beat Nigel Evans. <laughs> Do the same again with golf. Phone in and beat someone at golf. Can I tell you something else I'm good at? Oh, I mean in terms of games. So I've made a huge mistake in life. I have downloaded the oh. Countdown app. Oh, no. to my, I'm a huge Countdown fan, except I'm not a patient Countdown fan. And I used to record it and then I would fast forward the talking bits so I could just play the game. So I've downloaded it. And so now when I'm flying back or I'm up on the train, and I do, obviously, when I come in the train, I do a lot of work. But in between the work, I go, oh, I'll just have a wee game with it. I'll just play the computer at Countdown. And I'm sitting on trains and I get really annoyed if the computer gets a higher, higher, uh, better word than me. And uh, I verbalise that, unfortunately. Well, you can get points for that. I think, <laughs> um, I think although if you're going to get caught playing a computer game as an MP... That's probably the best one to get caught. Yeah. There's something there's something kind of refined a wee bit about getting caught playing. It's a wee, bit, it's a wee, wee bit, bit more highbrow. It's a bit than... middle class, you know. It's, you don't get caught playing something. Jerry, did what? you call me middle class? No, I said it's a bit middle class. <laughs> I'm not it's playing it anymore. You, know, you don't right. get caught getting, Back to the darts. You don't get caught playing some random, you know, daft game playing countdown. That's like she, she's thinking. <laughs> Even when she's winding down, she's thinking. <laughs> but it's embarrassing in case somebody sees you, knows who you are, and you've only got a six-letter oh, word. Man, just like you put the on the board. I, I like, cover it up. <laughs> yeah, I might get this count. This sounds pretty good. <laughs> Just before we go on, is there anything else you want to kind of let people at home know about that they can do or get involved with this week? Oh, you must be psychic, Jerry. I've because just, I'm just a little bit psychic. <laughs> That's me. Because strangely enough, we're both the same star sign. We're both Pisces. Yep, that's oh, me. Oh, God. See, I'm doing it again. Oh, I need to go. stop this. Right, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Next Saturday, uh, Saturday the 26th of November, um, as well as the meeting we're having in the afternoon. I am going to the STUC's St Andrew's Day anti-racism rally and it starts the meet at uh, Glasgow Green at 10.30 in the morning. The march kicks off at 11 o'clock. I think we're going to Rose Street uh, to the GFT and that's where the rally takes place. But if you're not going to take part in the march and you're just going to go straight there, I think you better check that out. Don't take my word for it, but please do. Come along, half past ten, Glasgow Green, Saturday the 26th of November, because it's more important now than ever because we've got lots of new people coming to live here. We uh, And we're living in a time when there's a lot of right-wing rhetoric. You know, the election of Trump, you know, a lot of the stuff that's going around, the increase in hate crimes. Um, so please... Um, come along and just show your support for people that will really appreciate it. And I think it's really important that people come along because um, I've got one example of many um, and I don't ever like using, using individual examples because I don't want people to think this is the only time it's ever happened. But most people, lots of people will have seen the, I'm going to have to call it alleged attack because um, somebody's been, people have been arrested now, they've been charged. A racist attack on Abel Miller, um, who lives in Barmalach. Now, Abel uh, is somebody I've known for a number of years, um, and the videos have been online showing him coming under fire, bricks, lit fireworks, 47 of them apparently. Anyway, um, I went to his house last Saturday um, because I've known for a long time that he experiences quite a bit of racism, and some of the stuff that he told me it was, you know, it wasn't all about violence and aggression, but there was some stuff about turning up to do jobs, agencies sending them to do jobs, and uh, the person saying, no, you're not what I was expecting, you're not needed. Um, and there being no other reason for it, you know, he's qualified, the agency sent him, he's well presented, he's an extremely articulate man. 
Anyway, I'm going to be running a campaign in support of um, Abel and his family. And the reason is because there was a blog post by Positive Action and Housing uh, asking people to raise a wee bit of money to support the family. Uh, Abel's 17-year-old daughter, uh, Kiki, was very distressed, um, obviously, by what happened and other things. And not wanting to stay in Glasgow, but they've had 40 emails as a result of that. A blog post and she's read the emails and now she wants to stay and she feels a lot lot better but they're still nervous frightened you know bewildered um, his other daughter is 13 and she has down syndrome and she hid under her bed um, it's not a good situation and I spoke to his wife and she's she's a nurse um, and a lovely woman and um, I, I don't want people to to feel scared or unwanted you know they've lived here the british citizens they've lived here for donkey's years they lived here because he was tortured in zimbabwe most of us are never going to have to think about things like that after everything that he's been through this intelligent articulate man he won't want us thinking of him as a victim but they are victims regardless of the current situation they have been victims so i'm going to run a campaign i'm going to put up a blog post uh, with a bit more detail um and i'm going to run a twitter campaign where people can give their messages of support and i'm going to pass them on to the family then i'm going to broaden it out and make it a bit more about just you know an a general anti-racism thing and about how you can tackle racism when you experience it or you hear about it or you witness it and people just don't know what to do sometimes and they do want to support so I'm going to broaden it out I'm going to start with the Miller family and supporting them and I hope that all you know everyone will join in and prove that we deserve this reputation we've got as a friendly city um, a lot of the things that happen to them don't all happen in Glasgow or Scotland incidentally are not very friendly but I want them to feel the warmth of Glaswegians, and I want um, I want them to know that they're wanted here. Yeah, it's a kind of side effect of, or if not, a kind of motivating factor for Brexit and things like that, where a lot of people feel um, aggrieved in various ways, and it seems to have give, given people permission. It's now become a bit yep. more socially acceptable yes. to be a bit racist. Yep. And you can see then where people who are um, maybe going to be violent are now given a wee bit of permission. So it'd be good for people to, to get out and say that's still not that's still not how, yeah. who we are, not what we yeah. want to approve of. But that's why if people come along next Saturday, support the Twitter campaign that I'm going to run as soon as I get time to, to write the thing. But if they come along next Saturday um, to the anti-racism rally, um, it certainly will help. And I hope there'll be bigger numbers than there's ever been before. And that's us at the end of another episode of Parliamental. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can contact us on Twitter at ParlamentalPod, on Facebook, search for Parliamental, and via email at parliamentalpodcast at gmail.com. Again, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review if you like the show. And I'll be back in a fortnight with another episode. Yep, we will. Yep, so thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye.